We just have to appreciate everything we have every moment. One of my morning practices is to always write down the top 10 things I'm grateful for. My evening practice is to write down at least three things I'm grateful for. And throughout the day, I actually ask the universe every morning, please grant me 19 or more miracles and the wisdom to be able to recognize and appreciate them. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Another fantastic guest today, and this time it's a lady because I have been told that I have too many men on my podcast. And I promise you from now on, it's a lot of gorgeous ladies with stories to tell, travel stories and life stories. And today my guest is a author. She is a TV host, a radio host. She is the founder of Om Heels, and she is doing a program called Vocal Mastery for Leaders. She does a lot of other things, and we're going to talk about that. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Jennifer Hill. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners, Elizabeth. Jennifer, we met because you were a speaker at the Global Woman Club. I don't think that you realized what you signed up for when you signed up for that speaker program, did you? I had no idea. I just, I am designed as a human being to be invited places. And when I get invited, I just happen to say yes, which is how I find myself flitting around the world often. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is so amazing because after that, you were in this program, you were on my New York club on Zoom, and then you ended up meeting Mirella in London. And then, you know, things just take their turns. Let's start a little bit earlier. Let's start a little bit from uh, the beginning. I know that you're living in Portugal, but you are a California girl, aren't you? I am. I spent about, gosh, most of my life up until I was 38 years old living in California and then part of the time in New York. And I've been very lucky that since about 2020, I've predominantly been living in Portugal, though also London and Paris and having fun exploring the world. Did you travel as a child? I am very, very lucky that my parents, my mother for, gosh, 35, 40 years was an oncology nurse and my dad was a firefighter. And because of how their schedules worked out, I got the travel bug very early. Every single summer when I was a little girl, my parents would get about three to six weeks off and we'd go camping in a Bronco with like one of those old fashioned tent trailers. So I've also been to almost every single state in the United States. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I used to be a tour guide in the U.S. Oh, and I used cool. to work out of L.A. And uh, like I worked out of New York as well. But L.A. was my favorite area. I, we had a, a tour called the Best of the West. And uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. What is your favorite area there? I mean, like I'm talking about Bryce Canyon, Canyon, Zion Canyon, you know, Grand Canyon or or, or the lakes. What what do you like most? Mm, it's, It's tough to say. You know, I do love places like Zion, for example, if you've never seen. It is truly magical. There's that red rock that you really don't find anywhere else in the world or the expanse of the Grand Canyon. Though for me, honestly, Elizabeth, I'm a water girl. (laughs) So I love being like Monterey, for example, is one of my favorite places in the whole world or Laguna Beach. I just love, love, love being close to the water. Uh, I like that too. And I'm originally from Switzerland, but I I've been married in Cyprus for many years and living on the Mediterranean Sea. As you know, actually, no, you Portugal is on the Atlantic. It's not on the Med, but it, you're not far. So, uh, yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, uh, there is one thing about Americans and, you know, people 
sometimes say, oh, you know, Americans don't, some of them don't even have a passport and blah, blah, blah. But I believe that the United States are so beautiful. There is so much, there is everything. There is the Atlantic, the Pacific, the glaciers, the mountains, the Rockies, whatever. You don't need a passport. You can visit places all your life without actually leaving the country. Mm, I, I totally agree. I think that for me, because I was so honored and fortunate that my parents took me traveling to every state pretty much when I was a young woman, that by the time I was 18 or 19, I'm like, new territories, you know, been there, done that, seen most of the states in the United States. And otherwise, I do encourage people, absolutely, if you're in the U.S., I don't think it matters as much, Elizabeth, where we travel, as long as we travel, as long as, you know, I remember many years ago, one of my teachers said, if you're somebody who travels a lot, it's because you need to pick up sparks of light where you've left them around the world. So wherever I go in the world, I imagine collecting all of these sparks of light to be able to do more good on the planet. That's beautiful. And, um, you know, as we know, we will not regret the things that we did, but we will regret the things that we didn't do. So it's important to go and do them. So where was the first trip abroad then outside the US? Well, I was very lucky that when I was younger, you don't really consider this abroad. <laughs> when I was younger, my parents used to take us down to Mexico. And I really attribute a lot of my personal success and happiness from my parents teaching me to help others. We would go down to Mexico and do volunteer work down there. So Mexico is really just a hop, skip, and a jump from where I grew up in San Diego. So I don't really consider that abroad. Though when I was 20 years old, my mother and father gifted me. I was graduating college early, and they gifted me a trip to Paris. So my mother and I found ourselves in Paris in, I think it was 2001, if I'm not mistaken. And it was extraordinary. I fell in love. We spent two weeks we went to Versailles, one of the one of the funniest moments of that trip, Elizabeth. So we had a friend there, a family friend, who had a son who was about my age. And so my mom and I and the son and every, we all go out for an early dinner. And then the son takes me, showing me around Paris. I don't even remember. I was out till cl clubs and bars and stuff until about 6 a.m., as you are when you're 20 years old. <laughs> And I should be <laughs> as as I'm rolling back into the room that I'm sharing with my mom, I'm literally like knocking on the wrong doors, can't even see straight. And we're supposed to go to the Palace of Versailles that morning. And, and so my mom had brought with her back in the days where you could still bring a little knife on the plane. So my mom had like a little pumpkin cutter knife that was for the baguette. And I remember I was just like trying to even like slice a piece of bread to have with cheese. I couldn't see straight. And so she brings me to Versailles that day. And they literally called me Le Bagage because... I was not participating. They would just pick me up, sit me you down. You were just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I did not sleep all that night, but I did get to see most of Paris between 1 a.m. and 6 a.m. Out of those two weeks, you're talking about that. So it was definitely an experience that you won't forget. And I think, you know, whenever you probably think or hear the word Versailles, that's what comes to your mind. And I think that's what most memorable journeys are about. You know, I remember when I was a tour guide, when everything went well, I was bored. I always used to feel like something has to happen so I can show what I can do. And I think this is what life is about. I like to talk about resilience. Now, this is out of context because we're talking about your young travel experience. But I think 
you become resilient when unexpected things happen and, and then you learn how to react to them, right? <laughs> Literally that happened last night, Elizabeth. So last night, my husband and I, there's a wonderful restaurant, shout out and plug for a restaurant up the street from us here in Lisbon called Loco. So if you've ever been to Lisbon, it's like San Francisco. It's all cobblestones and straight up hills and steep downhills. And so we were down the hill from this restaurant that was probably a 10-minute walk, but it would have been uphill on cobblestones. So we order what's called Bolt here to get to dinner. And God bless our little Bolt driver. So he comes in this little car, and the streets are like this big. So he starts following the GPS and we literally are down a street that on one inch to the right, one inch to the left, the car is about to be smashed into smithereens. And we're going down this hill trying to get to dinner. And then we come to a blockade. Like there is no getting out of that hill. And he can't even make a right or left because there is not enough room. And so my husband and I look at each other we're like, what do we do? Do we get out? Do we walk? Is are we gonna is he even gonna be able to get the car out? And the guy was like something out of a movie, Elizabeth. He's like, vroom, vroom. And then we're like backing up. A bit. <laughs> and then we like flip around. And then he makes it through. I think we gave him a 10 euro tip to go three blocks because we couldn't believe that this guy managed to get out of this itty bitty little street that not even a person could barely walk down, let alone a car. So it was pretty funny. It is funny. And it's what you, you know, you went for dinner, but you're not talking about the dinner. This is what you will remember. You're not going to talk, you're not going to remember that dinner unless you were discussing something really important, but you're not going to remember that dinner in 10 years, but you're going to, you, you will remember the, the drive. Yeah. That's such a great point. I love that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, life is all about, I believe that first of all, we both know that life is what you, what you make of it. You know, it's, 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 uh, we are, creating continuously and um, sometimes we just need to sit down and take a break and, and 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 you know redo what we've created wrong which is not really wrong but it's uh, it, it may be something that needed to teach us something have you had experiences in your life when you felt like that was wrong and now I need to re reroute <laughs> I know it's like that GPS rerouting rerouting <laughs> Oh, I hate that. That's oh, sorry to enter. That's one of my biggest. I don't do GPS well. Yes. I mean, there were so many instances of rerouting. For example, when COVID hit, uh, my husband and I at the time were planning to travel around the world. So we had grandiose plans. We had booked nine months of travel. I had just sold my first company. We were going to be in Bali for a month, in South Africa, in South America. We were literally just planning on ping-ponging around the globe. And so then come, it must have been March 11th of 2020, I was in Paris at the moment. I had a beautiful apartment that was overlooking the Eiffel Tower and magic and so on and so forth. And March 12th, I woke up and that was the day that Donald Trump said he was going to shut down the borders. So I woke up that morning, Elizabeth, to 60 texts from friends around the world. Jen, get out of Europe. You're not going to be able to get home. You're going to be stranded. I was like, what is happening? So I hop on the first train. I forgo the place that I'm renting with Airbnb hop on the first train just to get to London to be able to have options and be in an English-speaking country. And I remember there was no one on the train. It was wild. It was just like a ghost train. And I get to this apartment in London that I've rented for like two days just to get myself situated. And I got terribly ill, Elizabeth, terribly, terribly ill. And at that point, I was by myself. So I'm in a country where I know no one. My country is being <laughs> shut down and no one's being let in and I'm deathly ill and I can't travel. And it was actually beautiful though, because out of that, I remember I was in this tiny little apartment near Piccadilly and Leicester Square, 
And my parents were so worried about me. My parents and I used to talk maybe once or twice a month. And, you know, we'd see each other three or four times, maybe a year. But we certainly didn't talk every day. And because I was deathly ill and by myself, probably COVID, you know, you just didn't know back then. And all by myself in London, that resulted in my parents wanting to Skype with me every day to be sure I was alive and okay and situated. And literally to this day now, it's now been almost three years, we Skype or we FaceTime every day. And my relationship with my parents has deepened so extraordinarily well that who would have known? That would have never been possible had all that chaos, right? And not happened. That is amazing. So what did happen? Did you make it to the U.S.? Uh, no. So actually, out of all of that, I found myself living in London for six months because I heard horror stories of what was happening to my friends and to people in the U.S. And here I was in London because nobody was in London. I was able to rent a spectacular dream apartment, floor to ceiling windows overlooking the London Eye, overlooking the Tame in a high rise expensive building for probably a fourth of the normal cost. And so while everybody else had a really rough time, you know, quarantining from what I heard in the U.S., I had the best six months of my life. I was literally out every day feeding the birds at St. James Park, going for walks and runs. One of my best friends who had lived in London years ago over a summer said, Jen, I am so jealous of anywhere I could have chosen to quarantine in the world. How does it get better than London? I, I remember there were days where I would walk down Oxford Street and I had pictures of it and there was not a single soul on Oxford Street. Although I will say one of the most challenging, talk about challenging aspects of all of that, Elizabeth, was, uh, you know, the Ritz Hotel in London? Have you ever yeah. been there? So I was out for a run. It was one of the first days after I got over being really ill that I went out for a run and I was going to go, go for a run or walk in a park with a friend of mine who lived there. And I'm waiting for her by the Ritz Hotel. And I take out my phone, and that's all I have on me is my phone. And I take a picture of this beautiful purple flower right by the Ritz. And behind me come two guys on a motorcycle, and they go up onto the concrete behind me and pull my cell phone out of my hands. At that moment, I am still alone. I am in London, and through a wild miracle two months before my birthday in Portugal, I had always had one of those cell phone wallets. Literally, for five or six years, I'd never had a normal wallet. My wallet was always kind of flipped onto my cell phone. And I decided to get an indulgent purchase, and it was like my birthday that year. So I go to Hermes, and I get myself a Hermes wallet, which I would have never done before. So I do that, and because of that little miracle about a month or so earlier, my wallet and all my stuff was safely at the house. And I was able, through a series of serendipities, you know, to get everything I needed. The guy I was renting from even had a new cell phone sent to his place in the U.S. and then forwarded it to me. But I had no cell phone then by myself in London, uh, you know, for basically two weeks. It was wild. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that amazing that, that those, I think, we need to start kind of a, I don't know, a book project or some kind of a project of COVID stories. And where were you? Because when you mentioned the 11th of March, 2020, it gives me goosebumps because my, I did, I have a story. My, did, my daughter was traveling in South America at the time and we had arranged to meet in Buenos Aires in March. And I was very stubborn and I was watching this COVID situation and I thought, I am going to Buenos Aires. I don't care. And I actually traveled on the 11th of March 
15 hours, no, three hours to Zurich and 15 hours from Zurich to Buenos Aires to meet my daughter. And I arrived on the 12th. That's when Donald Trump and many, many other people in the world decided to close their country down, including Argentina. So I had three days to get out. <gasps> oh my and God. You can imagine how many other people were looking <laughs> to get out. <laughs> and I got a flight. I have friends, you know, I've been in the travel industry for many years. I managed to get a flight out via Sao Paulo. And then while I was flying to Switzerland, because first I went to Switzerland, I thought that's the first, because there is no flight from South America to Cyprus. So I'll fly to Switzerland. And while I stop over in uh, Sao Paulo, I find out that Cyprus is imposing quarantine, two weeks quarantine on arrivals. So I was one of the first people who had to quarantine here in Cyprus. And everybody was telling me, you're going to go to the mountains and it's cold and you're going to stay in a horrible hotel. And I don't know what else. And I arrived and I was put in a beautiful beach hotel near the airport with a balcony. And I had two weeks, the best time of my life because I had my peace. <laughs> a bit like you in London. So, you know, this is not about me. We're talking to you, but I needed to share this with you because I think there is many, many such stories about COVID. And, you know, when you look back, because I think at the beginning when it started, we didn't know, we had no idea. We, we probably, you know, some of us probably thought that we're all going to die. But now that we look back and we know that, okay, sad enough, and I, my heart goes out to all the people who did lose loved ones or... or it, some people did die, but we didn't know. We knew nothing. You know, what, what did we feel in March 2020? I think that's a fascinating time. Mm, yeah, it's so true. I remember the wildest thing for me was I remember the last person that I touched was my dear friend Lucy Hamilton because we had seen each other for lunch at Le Orangerie in Paris on March 11th. And Lucy's the best hugger. Like, she's actually Brazilian. And man, you know, you get a good hug. And that was like, I remember very vividly, like Lucy and I hugged. And at the time, my husband happened to be in New York and we wound up uh, separated and stranded from each other for about two to three months during that period. And so I remember I hugged Lucy and then I went two months, Elizabeth, without touching another human being. So I remember it was around month two, month, month and a half or so. And, you know, the police officers in London are often on horseback. And so one day I look at this police officer and I'm like slightly twitching and I'm like, sir, I haven't touched anything or anyone for two months. I pet your horse. And the guy <laughs> looks at me and he's like, um, yeah. And I'm like, precious, my precious. <laughs> I thought I was expecting a different story. I thought you were asking him to hug you. No, I just wanted the horse. I was like, I don't care about him. I just want to pet the horse. How amazing. Yeah, it is. You know, and this is something that nobody saw. I don't know. Okay, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist and I don't know, but I, I'm sure there were people who saw it coming. But normal people like me, you know, who, who we nobody saw this coming. Nobody knew. And it's a fast, it's fascinating. And I always hoped, and I still do, that we have learned something. I don't know if we have. Do you think we have learned something? You know, uh, one of the projects I'm involved in, Elizabeth, is called the Unitive Narrative that was actually written last year by a group of evolutionary leaders, which is a group I'm a part of that Deepak and Barbara Marks Hubbard started. And the idea of the unitive narrative is to basically underpin everything we create, businesses, medical models, education systems, etc., based on the premise that we evolve to cooperate, not to compete, which is what all of the latest science is showing us. So I will say, did we learn anything? 
Yes, I truly believe as you're looking out in the world right now that we're seeing that old models, old economic models, old medical, all old education models are decaying. And with that, there's a vacuum. And so I do truly believe, did we learn anything? Ask me in the next year and I'll be able to tell you because we are at a critical choice point for human beings right now. Do we choose to allow the old models, old systems that were basically killing all of us to continue to fill up this vacuum, in which case we may become extinct in the near future? Or do we put on a new paradigm? Do we put on a new lens to see ourselves in the world through? And if we do that, then I would venture to say that we learned something so valuable that it may actually save us as a species. Wow, I like that. And I like to, you know, I, I'm, I was hoping for that. And I'm, I, I definitely, I have changed. Most of my friends have changed. Some haven't, but um, there is hope because the way we are going, sounding very, you know, pessimistic, but we have done a lot of damage to this planet and um, we cannot continue like that. So we need to do a bit of change. And I think change starts with every single one of us. Nobody's going to do it for us. So, And I think that's where we're going to talk a little bit about what you do. What do you do, Jennifer? Tell us a little more, because I know more or less what you do, but I want our listeners to hear because you are doing wonderful work in the world. And I also would like you to tell about your relationship with Deepak Chopra. Mm, yes, thank you so much, Elizabeth. Well, I'm going to digress for a moment and recommend two wonderful books on the topic of what we are all doing and what can be done in the world. I'm very lucky, actually, at Morella's party, I was fortunate to get to meet Irvin Laszlo, who is a beautiful soul. And he has a new book called The Upshift and a movement called The Upshift, which is based on exactly what we're talking about, which is how do we upshift humanity? And he and I are working on a project now around that, as well as my dear friend Jude Curvin, who also knows Irvin very well. A lot of the thought leaders I know, Deepak, Jude, Irvin, were all coming from this perspective of birthing, emerging, something new that's never been done before. And my dear friend Jude has her new book coming out in October called The Story of Gaia, which is already on the bestseller list, which is how do we evolve as a species so that it is sustainable, so that we're not constantly depleting resources and competing and coming from a sense of separation. So really, that is what I do, Elizabeth, is I'm very, very blessed and honored to get to work on so many projects. I have a few main things I work on. The om-heals.com platform, where that got birth from is the first company that I built and sold was in the recruiting space. And my gift has always been matching person A with person B. So when I built the last company, I would teach my colleagues and the people I worked with how to cold read someone and how to energetically see who that person would match with. So fast forward in October of 2020, when I was living in Paris, the person named Moon Cho, who asked me to co-found Om Heals with her, she said, Jen, how would you feel about creating a platform for spiritual, psychological, and energetic practitioners around the world to match with users? And I said, well, it's really funny. You know, I used to do something similar when I did recruiting. And so we spent basically a whole year creating a mathematical formula that mirrors my intuition. 
And we worked with uh, my other co-founder, Julian Adler, who's an amazing man and helped me to build and sell my last company. And what we did is we found a way that measuring four quadrants across certain variability that most of us can tolerate, how to create healthy, lasting, intimate relationships around well-being. And we've had a 94% success rate since we started beta testing in November, December last year. And it's extraordinary. So we have almost 100 practitioners from every continent around the world except Antarctica. And a user can just hop on the platform answer a set of 20 matching questions, and then for free, you're sent who your best algorithmic matches are. And if you want to, you can wind up doing a session with them. Uh, You can also do 15-minute free sessions with many of them. And uh, yeah, we have all different price points. We have some people who are $30, some who are $450. And you just tell us whatever price point you want, and we send you your best matches. That's fantastic. And that is uh, available online, as you said, and we'll put the link to this in the show notes. So um, I don't have them yet, but I'm sure that you are going to send them to me. (laughs) (laughs) So so I do that. And then, as you mentioned, I do events with uh, Deepak Chopra. I was very, very blessed that uh, it was wild. So I went from building and selling a recruiting company to working with the dream coach who works with A-list actors. And there was an A-list actor who used to live in our building in New York. And one day he told me about how this uh, dream coach helped him to intuit what his next big role was. He was an award-winning actor. And I said, oh, that sounds cool. You know, I'm kind of wondering what my next role is now that I've sold this company, though I did have a five-year contract to continue running it. And uh, through a series of serendipities, I do this dream work with this coach where you write a note to your higher self before you go to bed and then you have dreams and symbols and then you give the dream coach the symbols and she interprets them. So wildest thing, Elizabeth, one of the things I saw when I did that dream work was I saw a very prim, proper male newscaster in like a suit. So I tell this to my dream coach, Goli, and she says, oh, my love, you're going to be on TV. And I said, oh, no, Goli. You see, I did a ton of TV back in the day. When I was in my 20s, I had done like MTV and ABC, NBC, E! News. I did a bunch of that in my 20s, but I hadn't done TV for 10 years. And she said, oh, no, my love, you're going to be on TV. I'm like, "Uh, uh uh-huh, yeah, sure. And so on November 1st of 2019, through miracles and different things, I was able to find a way to move into a consulting role for the company that I worked for. The same week that happened, I was offered a TV hosting gig for a new network called Awake TV and an opportunity to co-moderate a panel with Deepak Chopra and Don Hoffman at my old alma mater, UC Irvine, in January of 2020. And so the wildest thing is, talk about just seizing something by the moment. So, Elizabeth, it was uh, December 31st, 2019. We're about a week and a half away from when Deepak and Don and I are going to be doing this thing. And all of a sudden, I get a download. And I had this show, right? But it was like an online show, barely existed. And I reached out to UCI and I said, tell Deepak and Don I saved them a spot on my show. (laughs) Now, I wasn't even like a legit TV host. It was a barely there network. And then I get a call back shortly after that. Deepak's people will be in touch. And then next thing you know, they're like, Deepak wants this sort of a car. He'll meet you in studio, blah, blah, blah. And then that was the first of 16 episodes that Deepak and Don and I did. And I did a special episode actually with Deepak and Bruce Lipton last year. You can Google their names or their name and my name and it'll pull up. And it's just been magical and a lot of fun. How amazing. You know, it's like a dream. I, I Maybe I'll come back to you and ask you to get Deepak on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Deepak. It's been... Is he as... I, I mean, obviously, I don't know him. I know what I see, but he looks... Is he as 
lovely and nice as he looks. <laughs> what, what are you going to say now? <laughs> no, he is absolutely adorable. It cracks me up. He is an emoji guy. So whenever you text, he's always sending like hearts and folded. Hey, he's a very generous, genuine spirit who is really up to making a difference on the planet. And I feel privileged and honored to get to consider him a friend and to get to collaborate with him. I really admire the works and the projects that he's doing, the Never Alone movement. Oh my gosh. They've saved hundreds of thousands of people from committing suicide using the specialized AI that they created to support people with suicide, which is very near and dear to my heart, which is one of the many reasons Deepak and I connected is I tried to commit suicide three times between the ages of 16 and 20. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And um, my son lost a very good friend as well, who was just about 20 at the time to suicide. And it's just so heartbreaking. And I always you know, how much, how far do you have to go until you actually want to do this? You know, th- you know, the thought crosses our minds, I guess, at some point in our life, maybe, or I don't think anybody has such a perfect life that you're never fed up. But the fact that you actually get to this point is heartbreaking. And um, there is a lot of work to do. I um, do quite a bit of work with young people and the suicide rate of young people, of teenagers, is going up a lot because of social media, because of loneliness, because of bullying. There's a lot of work to do there, Jennifer. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. That's honestly why I try to do so much good right now, Elizabeth, in the world is because I did almost die more than three times between the ages of 16 and 25. I was bulimic and into drugs and alcohol, among other things. And I was not living my best life. And I really just wanted, I wanted it all to be over. And the fact that somehow or another, I survived a horrific car accident too, where I found myself hanging upside down on top of a cliff and had to climb up the side of a ravine. And somehow this was when I was 16, I was completely unscathed. And so I knew it, that I had angels, whatever you want to call it. And I truly feel that how I managed to not die the 10 or 20 times between suicide attempts and just reckless behavior of 15 to 25, I am so deeply grateful to be here and now to be able to do the work I'm meant to do in the world and support others. Yeah, and you're doing it very well. And I think a lot of people are very grateful to have you around. Talking a little bit about, there's two more things that I want to talk about. One is, how did you end up in Lisbon? (laughs) It's actually (laughs) funny, very, uh, very serendipitous. And actually, my friend, who is the reason that I wound up in Lisbon, just was visiting with us last week here in Lisbon. So on February, what was it, 24th of 2020, as I mentioned, I was getting ready to go all over the world. And my girlfriend, who also lived in uh, New York at the time, we went out for dinner. It's like one of those cold New York nights. We're having dinner in the city. And she said, oh, Jen, you're going to be spending, you know, this is before we knew about COVID. She said, oh, you're going to be spending all this time in Europe and all over. When you're in Europe, you should stop in Portugal. I was just there, and I think you would love it. And I was like, Portugal? Where is that? I don't even know where is that in South America. (laughs) Where is it? Like, I didn't even have a context. I hadn't even really heard of Portugal. So she tells me, look up Lisbon. So we're sitting there at dinner, and I have a flight book the next morning to London. And so I look up Lisbon. It says 70 degrees and sunny, and I'm kind of flipping through a couple pictures. I'm like, that looks amazing. And I look up London, snowing, 30 degrees uh, Fahrenheit and cold. And I was like, huh, I wonder. So I hop on my United app, and I had booked my ticket via points. And I said, I wonder if I could get a ticket to Lisbon instead. So I got the last seat 
on a flight to Lisbon the next day. And I found myself that night actually rerouting my trip to Lisbon instead. And then I fell in love. Wow, that is crazy. I know I know Portugal because I used to work for the police and I used to go there to translate for some criminals and <laughs> some people. But I absolutely love Portugal. And I think Portugal is kind of a little similar to Cyprus in a way because people speak good English. Compared to people in Spain, I've always found that uh, it's easier to communicate and it's just beautiful. And there is a, a fantastic history as well. And as you were mentioning before, when you went for dinner in those narrow roads, it's beautiful. It's it's uh, it's Europe, very European and very um, appealing. Yes. And then, Important travel advice, though. When you come to Lisbon, do not bring high heels, ladies and men. <laughs> like because you're going to get yeah. caught in the cobblestone. Yeah, it's wild. You have I have all these beautiful high heeled shoes. I have a pair of shoes I bought in Paris last year that I have not even worn because all you can wear is sneakers and flat shoes with grip. And that's about all you can wear in Lisbon. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And it's a bit of a general problem in Europe because of all those old roads, which are very charming, but difficult to walk with heels. And when you do wear them sometimes because you have to or because you want to, you actually end up ruining them because you get stuck in one of those. <laughs> but that's, that's a first world problem it really is <laughs> now we were talking before we started you're planning to travel where are you going to go in the next in the near future let's let's put let's let's not put a timeline but what are your plans so I'm very grateful to have about six months of upcoming travel. So on Monday, I head to uh, L.A. I'm officiating one of my best friend's weddings. So I'm going to be in L.A. Then I go to San Diego and Orange County to officiate the wedding. Then I fly to Cancun. Then I spend a night in Cancun. And quick travel tip, there are often wonderful business class travel deals on TAP Airlines. So I like to fly business to sleep on my way there or back with the lie flat beds. And so now my favorite new route is to go in and out via Cancun. So I'm spending a night in Cancun, come back to Lisbon for two nights, go out. Then I'm in Italy for a week uh, to celebrate my husband and my anniversary, come back for a few days. Then I'm back out in LA again for an event with Deepak. Then I'm back for a week and a half. Then I go to the south of France, to Paris, to Nice, to Provence. Then I'm back, and I've been invited to go to Manila in the Philippines for an event uh, that they want to honor me at, though it's it's about 20 to 30 hours of travel each way, so I'm, I'm reticent. I don't think I can do that. And then potentially Israel, and then I have a friend's book launch, which I'm helping coordinate in Oxford in October. Then I have a girl's trip with my girlfriends back in Cancun for three nights, then I come back, and then I'll be in Punta Mita for part of December in London. That's my kind of girl. I love this. I love hearing this. And when you are in Israel, in case you have some time, Cyprus is like a 40 minutes flight away from Israel because we are very far down in the Eastern Mediterranean. You know, people don't, because Cyprus is Europe. We're part of the, the European Union, but we are very, very, we're in the Middle East. It's a 20 minutes flight to Beirut and 40 minutes to Tel Aviv, 40 minutes to Cairo. So come visit me. You never know. Who knows? I Honestly, I am just at the whim of the universe. And I also pray and meditate. And I ask the universe, even though I make plans, like I was supposed 
to be in New York. I literally had landed from three weeks of travel in the U.S., went to Madrid almost a week after I landed, and I was supposed to fly to New York for three nights for a party. And I woke up and I was exhausted from having been in Madrid all weekend. And I woke up and I saw my flight was delayed. And my first thought was, oh, thank God, I can sleep a little bit longer. So I'm getting ready to meditate and then maybe go back to sleep. And about 20 minutes after that, my flight gets canceled. And I was like, okay, do I still really try and push and do it? And it wasn't something that was life or death. And you know, a lot of other people who were probably impacted by that flight, it could have really screwed them up if there was weddings or important things. And I thought, you know, it's selfish of me to really push for this. I don't necessarily need it that bad. And so I just surrendered that trip and let it go. That's sometimes necessary. And there is a reason for it. And I just, it's funny that I read, I read this this morning. I think it was like the universe never takes any way, anything away from us without presenting us with the upgraded version later on. Agreed, 100%. And so there is when something goes wrong, and I think it's important to realize in life that everything has an expiry date, the good times and the bad, every, you know, this too shall pass. It will it will be over. And that's why it's also important to appreciate the good times and enjoy the good times because they too pass. Yeah, we just have to appreciate everything we have every moment. One of my morning practices is to always write down the top 10 things I'm grateful for. My evening practice is to write down at least three things I'm grateful for. And throughout the day, I actually ask the universe every morning, please grant me 19 or more miracles and the wisdom to be able to recognize and appreciate them. And last Monday, Tuesday, I think it was, Elizabeth, I had 48 miracles in 48 hours. They were happening so fast, I couldn't even write them down as quickly as they were happening. And I said to people, it's like almost like you have an umbrella. And so you got to turn it upside down, increase the size of the umbrella to catch all the miracles. Wow. Did you say 19? Yes, I asked for 19. Why 19? Funny story about that. So in December, uh, actually, let me rewind. In November, when I was hosting a show on Awake, there was a famous doctor named Dr. Todd Ovakaitis. And Dr. Todd had said to me, I told him about my evening practice of writing down what I'm grateful for, how I could have lived the day better, and what I was proud of myself for. And Dr. Todd said, I also challenge you to write down moments of miracle, synchronicity, and awe every day. So I started to kind of do that. And then one morning in early December, I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask the universe for a specific amount of miracles. So I write it down. I just use my notes on my phone and I start to write it down. And as I do, I write down what I think is the number 10. You know, universe, please grant me 10 or more miracles. Though ironically, my finger wrote down 19. And so I go to delete the nine to write the 10 instead. And I was like, wait a second. If the universe wants to give me nine extra miracles, why, who am I to deny the, uh, the universe? And I kid you not, that first day I did it, talk about miracles. I mean, I remember I was checking into a hotel in Santa Monica from an Airbnb. And you know how it is when you check out of an Airbnb, there's often like a long delay between check-in to a hotel. It was like a 10 a.m. checkout and hotel check-in wasn't until three or four. So I called the hotel and one of the first most amazing miracles I said to the hotel, you know, I'm supposed to stay with you later today. Is there any chance? Could I get like maybe a noon check-in? And they look me up and they're like, oh, Miss Hill, Jennifer Hill. Yes, um, Miss Hill, we actually have your room ready right now at 9 a.m. If you'd like, your suite is available and you can come in and enjoy, you know, the beach and the facilities. I'm like, and it just continued on from there. So now the secret with receiving miracles is having the wisdom to recognize and appreciate them. And when we do, it changes our lives. Wow. And you said... The moments of miracle, synchronicity, and awe. 
Yes, awe. To notice the moments of awe. Think of how often in life we go on autopilot. And one of the other programs that I facilitate is a program called Vocal Mastery for Leaders with celebrity vocal coach Arthur Samuel Joseph, who trained Tony Robbins, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Pierce Brosnan, Sean Connery, a whole myriad of different celebrities around the world. And so one of the aspects of what Arthur and I teach in Vocal Mastery for Leaders is an aspect called conscious awe, A-W-E, awareness. When we bring conscious awe awareness to everything we do, your life begins to unfold in the most miraculous and serendipitous ways. Oh my God, I absolutely love this. And um, I do live quite consciously, but I have never actually done that. I'm going to start doing that as of today because... Um, and I listen, people who are listening to this podcast, listen to this lady because she knows a lot of stuff and she has dropped a lot of good hints in this podcast episode. And I usually try to keep my episodes to about 35, 40 minutes and we're coming to the end, Jennifer. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> so I do hope that you will be, that we'll get together somewhere, somehow, hopefully through Global Women or in another way, come visit me. But any other last tips that you, I mean, you've, you've given us a lot, but if you have anything else, would you share it with us? I think the final thing I would love to leave everyone with is to always look for the good. Always look for the good in everything and everyone, everywhere you go. In fact, that was my tip of the day yesterday. I was inspired, despite doing a lot of TV stuff, I get really shy and I am not a person who likes to record videos of myself on social or post selfies for the most part. And so I'm really pushing through a barrier for myself and I'm doing 365 days of tips for living your best life. And people can find that on uh, at Jen Hill speaker on Instagram or my Jennifer K Hill Facebook. And so that was the tip I had given the other day is can you imagine if we always looked for the good in ourselves and others, how that would shift our lives. So that would be my advice. Always look for the good and you'll find that there's more good than you could ever imagine. Wow. I think we'll leave it at that. That's the, the best way to end the podcast episode. Thank you so much. I know that you are a busy lady. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me on Most Memorable Journeys, Jennifer. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Elspeth. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.